This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Did we make a mistake in not authorizing the Novavax for COVID-19 earlier? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. In the last few weeks, the FDA gave emergency use authorization to the first booster of the Novavax COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccine itself received an EUA in August, and many people are encouraged by this because it gives people a choice in the kind of technology they want to use to protect against COVID-19. The virus is still with us, but of course with new variants, and that could be another good reason to open the gate for Novavax and this first booster. My guest today is Raymond March. He is a research fellow at the Independent Institute and an assistant professor of agribusiness and applied economics at North Dakota State University. In August, he posted a blog post addressing this question on whether we made a mistake in not authorizing the Novavax earlier in the pandemic. Welcome. Hi, great to be with you. Many people have not heard of Novavax, and that appears not to be an accident. Tell us about the genesis of this particular COVID-19 vaccine. No, it's not an accident, although it's almost as old as some of the other COVID-19 vaccines. It's kind of been in the backwaters waiting to be released, at least in the United States. Uh, The Novavax, Novavax vaccine really comes from somewhat late 2021. It's been developed a little bit differently than some of the other uh, COVID-19 vaccines, which use mRNA technologies. And the FDA really just very recently got around to issuing emergency use authorization, which is the idea it hasn't undergone the full approval process like a lot of other drugs have, but it's safe enough. People can start using it to try to prevent getting Omicron and some of its subvariants. But I think the main reason people haven't heard of Novavax isn't because it is less effective or is you know less available than currently now less available than some of the other vaccines i think it's regulatory barriers that have kind of kept it out of people's arms so to say hmm how how different is the novavax from the mrna vaccine the big difference is how it's made so when we think about covid-19 vaccines we tend to think of the mrna strands which were developed mostly through synthetic materials which have the nice ability that you can test for them fairly quickly, you can develop them fairly quickly. So the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was developed like that, as was the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. But AstraZeneca and Novavax's vaccine are developed through proteins, which is how most vaccines you've had in your life that we give to children, we give to adults. That's how most vaccines are actually developed. The big difference there is a little bit slower to develop, a little bit slower to test for, but on the other hand, it's a lot more reliable, it's a lot more versatile. And one of the big issues with the Novavax vaccine is that some of the older ones that have been approved or allowed to be distributed by the FDA were very effective in getting rid of some of the earlier strands of COVID-19, so the Delta and the initial Alpha strand. But those initial vaccines aren't very good at preventing severe breakouts or preventing severe illness from Omicron and some of its subvariants. Novavax is actually a lot better at doing that. You mentioned AstraZeneca being another protein-based vaccine for COVID. Uh, Is there a history of other protein-based vaccines? Broadly, we have a lot of history with them, not for COVID, because COVID's 
still somewhat of a novel virus. It's been with us for a couple of years, but it, it's generally considered a novel virus. But protein-based vaccines are how most vaccines are actually developed. So most of the vaccines you received as a kid, if you've received any boosters that aren't for COVID lately, those are, for the most part, protein-based. So this is the standard way that we vaccinate everyone. mRNA is kind of the new strand, or if you will, the new way to make vaccines. Sure. Uh, Let's talk about some of these COVID-19 variants. I mean, COVID is still with us, and I've lost track of all the variants what is the potential in protecting people from COVID-19 from these variants with Novavax? Sure. Uh, Novavax, because it's made from the protein-based materials, it's a lot more adaptable. It's a lot more available to sub-variants. As, the, as your, most of your listeners are probably aware, right, a novel virus starts out very strong and in some cases very destructive. When it mutates, it usually mutates so that it can get around current immunization abilities in people or through current immunizations coming from boosters and other shots. And when it does that, it tends to lose a lot of its, mm, for a lot of its, you know, deadliness, but it becomes a lot more contagious. And what that means is previous ways of treating COVID-19, like the Delta variant, they don't really work for these new strands because these new strands have adapted to be able to get around those treatments. Hmm. So one of the nice things about Novavax and to some degree AstraZeneca and other vaccines that are made from the protein-based solutes is that they're a lot more minimal. They're a lot more to encounter and help treat these conditions. And of course, we did something completely unheard of. We took a very heavy-handed approach and who was to get COVID vaccines? I mean, people were forced to take them if they wanted to keep their job or go to school or travel or even see a concert. I mean, do you suppose if we opened the gate on Novavax earlier than August, the pandemic would have gone in a different direction? I, I don't think there's any question it would have. And I agree. Initially, when COVID was younger and it was a lot more destructive through the Delta variant, the initial Alpha variant, there was a need to get the vaccine as quickly into people's arms as possible. That's why they had what you alluded to, Operation Warp Speed, right? So streamline the process, offer laboratory equipment, and try to get vaccines quickly. That's why, if you will, the government invested in mRNA because it was somewhat riskier than developing the standard way. But it also had a lot of promise, and it would also allow you to develop it quicker The problem is when you put all of your eggs in one basket, so to say, and you only have vaccines that are produced through mRNA, you risk the problem of what happens when the virus mutates and you need a different kind of vaccine to be able to handle a different strand, so to say. Then you end up where you have government policies which are focused on specifically this kind of vaccine, which may not be what the pandemic needs or what we need to be able to do to address COVID going forward. And that's kind of where we are right now. There's a lot more strands available to be able to cause harm. We're not sure exactly what that's going to look like, you know, months going into the future. What we have are somewhat antiquated vaccines trying to address a new problem. And that's why Novavax is so important, but it's also why it's somewhat frustrating. It took so long to be able to get to us. And, you know, it's indicative on whenever we take this one-size-fits-all approach, the government picking the winner, I mean, they can easily miss And that's the beauty of the free market is that you spread out the decision making and the best usually rises to the top naturally. And then, of course, you know, we could have addressed COVID by pushing early at home treatments. But instead, we focused all our energy and resources on prevention using an inoculation because many people uh, did take these mRNA vaccines. Do you think that the Novavax, the Novavax can be useful at this point? I mean, will we get the full potential out of it? There is somewhat potential because it came out so late. 
and it was previously available when Omicron started to spread and when it started to mutate in some of these other more trickier to treat strands, it would have been a lot more effective had they brought it to market when most of the other countries had, right, in early 2022 when it was available in 170 other countries. But now that it's so late, a lot of people have already been infected with Omicron, right? and they're already experiencing symptoms from some of the subvariants, even from Omicron. So it would have been, I think, a very different pandemic if people had Novavax early on when we didn't really know what Omicron was going to look like and it started to peak. You might remember in January of this year, we had over a million cases in a day, which was by and far the most cases we've had in a single day, right? But if you had had Novavax at that point, way more people would have been interested in getting that vaccine into them instead of you know, with a third or fourth booster of Pfizer or <laughs> yeah. Moderna or something like that, because it would have been more effective. We could have had a very different pandemic on our hands. And many people did get these mRNA vaccines. What about now? Could the Novavax be safe and effective for them? Uh, to the best of my, I'm not a physician, but to the best of my knowledge, it does help supplement. But Novavax is much, much more effective in treating current strands. So you're probably getting if you're worried about current strains, you'll probably get it better off at getting one or two shots of the Novavax than trying to consider previous vaccinations as a substitute. There, there has been a lot of pushback against the mRNA vaccines because of adverse reactions. Uh, many people saying that we've only seen the tip of the iceberg, especially with myocarditis and healthy young people. I mean, do we know if Novavax would have a similar impact? Because like, you know, the mRNA vaccines, it's new and it's authorized under emergency use. You're, absolutely. It, it's a new technology. It was, I mean, for a lot of purposes, right, the first mass vaccination attempt globally. So, of course, there are going to be outlier effects. There are going to be stories of people that have side effects that were not anticipated from the very new way of treating a novel virus. So we're, we're probably not entirely sure what the side effects of mRNA vaccines are, especially not in the long term, right? Because there are no long-term studies because there's no long-term. But the nice thing about Novavax and some of the other protein-based vaccines is that we generally know what the side effects of them are. We may not know exactly what some of the tail risks of Novavax might be when trying to treat COVID, but we generally know what to look for when protein-based vaccines have side effects. So in that sense, a little bit safer. Did this experience teach us any lessons for the future? I mean, let's hope we never have to go through two years of what we experienced again, you know, with Operation Warp Speed, the weaponizing of fear, masks, locking down the country, the idea that we put all our eggs in one basket and dealing with the virus, which was mass vaccination. Have these things taught us a lesson for the future? I mean, unfortunately, I, I think there have been a lot of mistakes in how to address this pandemic. A lot of them are very serious mistakes, which have cost people livelihoods, cost people lives, made public health in some instances worse. But I think there is a silver lining in the sense that I think there are two lessons that we're starting to appreciate and that the American public are starting to understand about wide scale emergencies like this. The first of which is that it's generally better to free the market than to control the people when you have a public health emergency. So instead of in the future going to lockdowns and protective measures and trying to restrict economic and personal freedom, it's generally better to deregulate and say, let the supply side of the market, if you will, the innovation of medical professionals and scientists try to address the problem. We saw that with COVID testing. We saw that with COVID-19 vaccines. And even to some extent, we're still seeing that today. Yeah, the second lesson, I think more better tailored to what I've been writing and to what we've been talking about um, in this podcast episode is that even when new technologies emerge, it's generally advised not to pick winners and losers. 
So we can sing praises of Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines, and there's no question they did help people, and they were developed in record speed. But the downside of Operation Warp Speed is not that it brought new vaccines to market. The downside of Operation Warp Speed is that it picked winners and it was short-sighted. And we can understand why that might be the case as a virus <laughs> engulfs the country and people are sick and catastrophes are happening all around. That's fine, right? But we can't expect a policy to possibly predict what COVID-19 or any pathological virus might be three or four years down the future. Right? Only a market can possibly anticipate and try to cover for instances like that. So in the future, God forbid, a, a virus like this breaks out again, or maybe a sub-variant of COVID, maybe an entirely new virus, we don't know. But in the future, we shouldn't be picking winners and losers. We should be leveling the playing field, which usually involves deregulation. That was the successful part of Operation Warp Speed, by the way, was getting rid of the regulations and letting these vaccines come to market. So I think to the extent that we learn that lesson and have that going forward, we will be that much better off. Yeah, and being open to all approaches. This is not the first pandemic we faced as a nation or even in the world. There were SARS in 2009, and then we had the Hong Kong flu going back to 1968. Yep. We had a pandemic even in 1957. And what was so striking about all of these is they didn't dominate the news cycle. They were fairly short-lived, and we didn't lock down, and we didn't order people to do certain things. So... Certainly, um, we've learned a lot in the last two years, and now uh, we have some options in dealing with COVID-19. Thank you so much, Raymond March, for coming on the podcast to talk about Novavax. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Raymond March is an assistant professor at North Dakota State University and a research fellow at the Independent Institute. And thank you for listening to the Heartland Daily Podcast. We welcome you to become a regular subscriber so that you can get fresh content on free market public policy discussions uh, every day and or Monday through Friday at least. And also, we appreciate if you can share the link and rate us on your favorite platform. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.